Hello, I'm Piero Vitelli, and welcome to Dancing in the Line of Fire, a series of podcasts exploring aspects of presentation delivery. Throughout the series, you're invited to join the conversation on Twitter using the hashtag Dancing in the Line of Fire, all one word, and in the final episode, I'll explore and try to address your questions. But now it's time for Chapter 15, Visual Aids. I use a walking aid from time to time to help me keep my balance. I can walk without it, but sometimes I need a little help, and when I use it, it makes my journey from A to B easier than it would otherwise have been, but it's just a prop. Its job is to help me do mine, to do exactly what I tell it, and to be ready for me should I need it. It's not impossible for me to imagine being completely reliant on it one day, but no matter how essential, well-designed, structurally sound or aesthetically appealing it may be, without me it has no purpose. An aid is just that, an aid. A few years ago, I devised something which I call the Presentation Equation. It's an attempt to describe the various factors that are involved in the creation and delivery of a presentation. The equation proposes that there is a cost to a presentation and this must be met either by money or some other mechanism of measuring value. That cost must at least be equal to the number of people in the audience multiplied by the length of time that you're asking for their attention. Therefore, a half-hour presentation to 50 people may last only 30 minutes, but it consumes 25 hours of human attention, which is well on the way to being one week of human productivity if you allow for breaks and so forth. But you also have to include the cost of the venue. Conference centres must be hired and rooms must be booked, and they will need light, heat, power, refreshments and servicing afterwards. Your presentation may require equipment in the form of flip charts, whiteboards, computer and projector, and in the case of delivering online presentations, there are the costs of computer, camera, lighting, internet and software. And added to all this, it's easy to forget that your audience must stop doing the work they normally do in order to listen to it and possibly travel to and from wherever you're giving it. If what the presentation equation suggests is true, then it's probably fair to say that giving a presentation is the most expensive form of communication there is, and therefore any visual aids, however important they may be, are just one part of it. But that's not necessarily how presentations are seen or approached. Developed in 2003, the Pecha Kutcha is a strict formulaic presentation whereby a presenter must provide the commentary for 20 slides that are shown for 20 seconds each. It's inspired by the idea of getting presenters to show more and tell less, but it creates the situation where a presenter is effectively controlled by their visual aids, which makes it something of a spectator sport, admittedly sometimes a very exciting one, but it denies the presenter the freedom to respond to their particular audience. 
In the world of academia, the annual three-minute thesis competition asks researchers to explain the main purpose of their research in precisely three minutes using just one supported slide. Both these structures have the worthy aim of preventing an unstructured and improvised ramble, but their design makes the visual aids and time a presenter's primary focus. Therefore, it's hardly surprising that every time I hear someone say, I'm preparing my presentation, they're almost always talking exclusively about their slides. And I've rarely, if ever, heard someone refer to their audience, storyline, venue, or logistics in quite the same way. Let me be clear, I am not against visual aids. I use them a great deal myself. But they're a good slave and a poor master. But if you consider most venues used for presentations, I'm sure you'd agree with me that the design of the space itself promotes visual aids as the most important part of a presentation through the dominant positioning of the screen. The speaker's position is always to one side or below the screen, and the assumption seems clear that the presenter should accompany the slide and not the other way around. The most powerful element of any presentation is the imagination needed to realise its vision, and a presenter should not doubt the ability of their audience to construct the images needed to create it. So it's worth considering whether or not visual aids actually add value to a presentation. As an experiment, I invite you to watch and compare, if you haven't already, Two of the outstanding TED Talks I've already mentioned in previous episodes, those given by Ken Robinson and Hans Rosling. Sir Ken delivered his talk called Do Schools Kill Creativity in February of 2006, and for the entire 20 minutes it takes, he stands in a fixed position, is unsupported by visual aids of any kind, and argues powerfully and persuasively for an overhaul of our system of education. The aids to his narrative are his undeniable intellect, particular perspective and experience, humour, timing, curiosity and engaging style. But all the visuals we see during it, and there are many, are created in our imaginations, something he believed was an essential component to be exploited in a good educational system. Had he used any slides, they probably would have diminished or even possibly undermined his message because we all have an individual experience of education, and no one slide fits all. The Joy of Statistics is a presentation given by Professor Hans Rosling, during which he interacts with an animated graph seemingly suspended in space between himself and the viewer to great effect. As he describes the events of 200 years from 1810, the graph appears on screen and is populated with hundreds of circles of different size and colour. As he talks, they move, bringing to life his narrative about the health and wealth of 200 nations, growing with increased prosperity and altering in the face of specific events like the Spanish flu epidemic in the Second World War. Sprinkled with facts and his own particular brand of humour, it is an unforgettable demonstration of using technology to literally paint pictures in the air. Both these presentations rely on our ability to create the images needed to understand them. 
but the raw materials for understanding Ken Robinson's are our individual experiences of education, which are internal and need no visual aid to conjure them up in our memories, whilst those required to make sense of Hans Rosling's are over a hundred thousand data points spread over time, which only become accessible and digestible when converted into animated graphics. The physicist William Edwards Deming is reported to have once said that without data, you're just another person with an opinion. And whilst this may be true, it's equally fair to say that in presenting data without an opinion, you're just another person with a number. In other words, 0.04% is just a measure of something as a part of a whole. Knowing that it's the percentage of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere makes it data. But whether it's too much, too little, or just about right is a matter of opinion. And that's what Hans Rosling does so well. Use data to support the opinion that, in his words, everyone can make it to the healthy, wealthy corner. Data is just data. People provide the meaning, and sadly we don't know how his opinion would have been affected by the global events that have taken place since his death in 2017. I'm not a graphic artist, and so I don't have any specific advice about how a slide should look or what the best way to design one is. And as this podcast series is about presentation delivery rather than construction, I'm not going to explore how content might best be shared on a slide. As I'm sure you can imagine, there is so much information freely available on the internet that can help you with your design. But as the presenter must have a relationship with their slides during a presentation, there are some things which you might like to think about. Firstly, it's reasonable to assume that your audience can read. But if they can't, due to being visually impaired, then it's part of your job to have found this art beforehand during the preparation stage and catered for it in some way, perhaps by preparing handouts in large font, braille, or some other mechanism. That said, if your slides do contain text, then people will try to read all they can, almost as certainly as they will slow down to look when passing an accident on the motorway. It's just something we're hardwired to do. If you give them too much text to read and it's poorly laid out, they might either stop or get confused, which is another issue in itself. But if they can read, they will. And what's more, they will read far quicker than you can speak. Research suggests that we will typically speak at around 160 words per minute. But when we read, we do so at approximately 500 words per minute because we don't actually read all the words. Therefore, if you read your slides out loud to your audience, not only will they finish 340 words before you, but they will quite possibly begin to feel patronised as you slowly read to them what they have just read for themselves. Either way, if their imagination is not sparked by what they see and hear in the room, their attention will probably wander somewhere else where it is. Secondly, if you and your slides are saying the same thing at the same time, then it stands to reason that one of you is redundant, and it's probably worth bearing in mind that software doesn't get nervous, or worry what the audience thinks of it, or forget what it wants to say. 
designed to deliver color, images, text, video, and audio, PowerPoint and programs like it are excellent at delivering data to an audience. In one second, they can present an image to an audience that would take a presenter an age to describe. Not only is it a matter of speed, but studies about preferences tell us that different people look at images in different ways. Some of us preferring to notice detail before context, and others being drawn to the relationships within and moods of an image. Given a slide of the Mona Lisa, each member of the audience can explore it as they wish, whilst the presenter trying to describe it must decide what specific information should be processed and in what order. Thankfully, though, software is not yet able to empathise, to connect, relate, infuse, or engage in the myriad of other wonderful behaviours that humans have an extraordinary capacity to do. So it's a good idea to focus on what you do well as a human being and let your slides do what they do well. In other words, if you're going to pick a fight with your visual aids, at least pick one that you have a chance of winning. Think of it this way. If your slides make sense without you, then common sense suggests that the audience doesn't need to focus on both you and your slides in order to fully understand your message. If you're a brilliant presenter and your audience is hanging on your every word, then your slides may well be a distraction. Conversely, if you appear uncomfortable and deliver your message awkwardly, your audience will probably find it easier to absorb the information shown on the screen, rendering you not just obsolete, but possibly irritating too. But visual aids are a part of presentations. And although it's perfectly possible to deliver one without their help, the chances are that you, like me, will want to make use of them. And so, putting to one side the content and design of them, the question is how to use them, how to work with them. Over the years, I've noticed that the majority of presenters follow their slides. That is to say that they use their slides as an aid memoir and take their cue from them. This then sets the scene perfectly for an audience to watch a presenter reading out loud for them what they can very well read for themselves. Part of this problem is often that the text of what they want to say is written verbatim on the slides, but it's equally a question of timing, as a double act always has a dominant partner at any one time. If the presenter follows the slide, then they are in the support role, and can either repeat it, which lessens their status, or add a little context or detail, which cements their role as assistant. Where the presenter leads the slide, then the opportunities are far more. Imagine a presenter on stage who begins by showing a slide on which is written, Company snapshot of where we are today, and then starts to speak there's probably very little that they can say other than, good morning, I'm here to share with you a company snapshot of where we are today, and then carry on from there. But if the presentation started with no slide, and them actually saying, good morning, I'm here to share with you a company snapshot of where we are today, then the visual aids could be used in a variety of other ways. A predictable and polished way might be to show the company logo alongside those of competitors, 
perhaps even with annual profits displayed under each, creating a clear overview of what is to come. But in terms of theatricality, there is so much to be gained from the precise timing of the slide too. And if I were coaching this presenter, I would suggest that they time the reveal of this slide to coincide exactly with the end of their statement, with the word today. Now, with presenter and slide saying the same thing, albeit in a different way, and, importantly, saying it sequentially, a far more interesting dynamic has been set up. The audience now know that the information first comes from the presenter and the screen then offers context, detail or support, and they're probably far more likely to feel engaged as a result. Depending upon the style of the presenter, culture of the company and feel of the event, there's also the possibility to include humour. Imagine the same presenter giving the same introduction, and on the word today, revealing a photograph taken of the aftermath of the last Christmas party, or of the renovation works in the staff canteen, or of the senior leadership team in a staged photo clearly designed to ridicule themselves in some way. The possibilities are endless once you accept that visual aids are just that, their aids, a mechanism to say something different, or in a different way. Visual aids can bring to your presentation with the greatest ease such things as humour, video, audio, metaphors, antitheses, similes, juxtapositions, but you need to let them work for your presentation just as much as you do. In the film Way Out West, the comedians Stan Laurel and Oliver Hardy performed a short sketch on a bench where Hardy has a large cigar and is looking for a lighter. He searches his various pockets but has no luck. Laurel notices his efforts and comes to the aid of his friend by starting to search his pockets too. Equally unlucky, he decides to start clicking his fingers as though they were a lighter. After four or five attempts, a small flame appears at the tip of his thumb and he leans over to Hardy with a beaming smile who gratefully acknowledges his efforts. The cigar is lit and they both lean back contentedly as the smoke rises and the scene closes. Now, I don't know whether or not this is an outrageously funny scene, but it is an excellent example of two performers passing the focus of attention between them. As Hardy begins to look for a lighter, Laurel notices. When Laurel succeeds in lighting his thumb, Hardy reacts accordingly. Like any great double act, they support each other, they never upstage each other, and, critically, only one of them is driving the scene forward at any one time. As beautifully demonstrated by Hans Rosling, a presenter and their visual aids are a double act in much the same way and I argue that there should only ever be one focus unless the decision to have more is a way of making a point. Our ability to make the best use of visual aids rests on our level of technical expertise, which is something that has become even more important since online working and remote delivery have become so central to our working lives. And that's the topic for next time. Thank you for your company. 
and I hope you've enjoyed this podcast. Don't forget that you can shape the final episode by posting questions or comments on Twitter using the hashtag Dancing in the Line of Fire, all one word. And if you want to find out more about the work I do, then please visit island41.com. I look forward to seeing you next time.